Hey there, my name is Yves. I'm the founder and CEO of Fieldwire. And today in this episode of From the Ground Up, I'm meeting with Chris Zundel, who's a senior PM at ACO in the Bay Area. How's it going today, Chris? Going great. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. So for our listeners who don't know, ACO is a full-service mechanical contractor. Can you tell us a little bit more about what ACO does? Yeah, for sure. Like you said, our full-service mechanical contractor, we do design-build services. So we are set up so that the project managers will work with a general contractor, one or two specific general contractors. We'll help them budget a project that's in very early phase from conception all the way through competitive bidding. And if we're awarded the project, then we'll support the pre-construction, the design, unless it's already done, and then all the way through installation and kind of hand it off after warranty. Okay. I've seen that trend, especially on complex systems like a complex HVAC or plumbing, to do the detailing of the work in-house as a way to gain more efficiency. How typical is it for you to do the final work there rather than the end of the design? It's very common. I would say maybe about half of the projects with the general contractors that I work particularly with are design build. We have in-house engineering, so we'll even do all the calculations, select the equipment. Typically, there's a basis of design that we're handed, so the owner has an idea of what he's getting, but we'll make it a reality. And for the plan and spec projects, we'll work pretty closely with the engineer of record. Owners, a lot of times, like to save money, so we're pretty good at helping them come up with some value engineering ideas. And then once that's kind of through, we'll jump into the 3D coordination, and that happens on both design build and plan spec projects. Gotcha. Is there like a specific type of projects that makes the bulk of your volume or specific size of projects that defines the company? Yeah, well, the company as a whole, we do everything. Residence, corn shell, office, tenant improvement work. We have a very thriving hospital division that does Oshpod work. We've just started an industrial branch maybe about five, six years ago that's starting to take steam and work on some of the refineries. We have a specialty group that does process pipe and plumbing with you know, the data centers and some of the high-tech markets down in the South Bay and in Jackaville. So across the board, we pretty much do everything as a company. I'm a little bit more specialized. (laughs) I don't get to do all the the really smart stuff. So I stay in my lane kind of doing commercial office and high-rise residential. What's a typical day for you as a senior PM? Are you mid-project right now? Are you between project? What's the situation? Yeah. So as a project manager with ACO, again, since we're kind of a one-stop shop, We'll usually work on multiple projects at a time. So, you know, depending on where the project is, that kind of dictates how much work you have to put in every week. So for a typical day, it's what design work needs to get done that week. So I'm collaborating with my engineers to make sure we're hitting the right milestones. So we just had a 75% CD set due on a project. So I've been helping them and checking in with them, you know, regularly throughout the week to make sure that they're getting their design work complete. But that's not me actually doing the design work. So Mm -hmm. it enables me to also work on a project that's in construction to work with procurement, work with the field on scheduling. So I'm wearing multiple hats every day, depending on where the project is. And my favorite part is that I have a team, Taylor Peterson. He's a project manager that I helped train and he's my partner. And Scott Jansen, he's a project engineer that I have that is just awesome. And so I spend a good part of my day also checking in with them on the projects that they're kind of on the front lines on 
that I helped sell or I helped kind of bring to the team or bring to ACO and they're running or they're kind of on the front and Taylor's taking part in the sales part as well. So it's a good part of my time managing and mentoring their process. That's actually a really interesting point. What makes a great PM in the mechanical trades? What are in your mind kind of like the salient characteristics that one needs to possess to, to be successful? Yeah, it's, it's funny. They say that you have to be able to wear 10 different hats and you have to be really good at at least three of them. <laughs> okay. I think the skill set that I have that works best is that I know how to work with people. You know, I know how to work through problems. I know how to just bounce out ideas without worrying if the idea is ridiculous. So being a little bit creative and also being able to work with any type of personality, that may be two different hats, but I feel like that's a strength that I have. And then you have to be able to see ahead on the schedule. You have to be able to plan manpower with your team. Vendor and general contractor relationships are critical in this industry. And I think a lot of times you'll get someone who thinks that a vendor is a third tier person or something, or they don't treat them as well as they can. And, yeah. Yeah. and then you're not going to get good pricing, you know? So, <laughs> so it's working on those relationships, being a relationship person. And then the financial side, you have to know how much things cost. You yep. got to know how to use the tools at your disposal to build estimates. You know, as an engineer growing up, I figured out how to get an A in my English class in college, okay. but I didn't like it. And then it's come in so useful yeah, <laughs> at yeah. ACA to be able to write a proposal, you know? <laughs> so you have to be a decent writer. Your communication has to go into your hands as well. Do you find you're spending more time on the client side nowadays than you do on the engineering side or on the project side, maybe? It's a balance for sure. And there's an ebb and flow to that. When you're really busy with the projects, there is such a thing as overselling and burying yeah. yourself and if you spread yourself too thin. Mm-hmm. You know, your product, which is really my company and myself, is yeah. not going to be as good, right? So if we're really busy with projects, I would say that my effort on selling and trying to bring work in maybe slightly less, but yeah. you can't turn it off all the way or else you're never going to have work in the future. So exactly. Overall, I try to split it pretty well balanced. Good. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I can relate to so much of what you're saying when you're talking about the team, like the PM and the engineer that you're working the most closely with, because I know in the company, same thing, there are the people I can absolutely rely on. And they've been with us for a long time. We speak the same language and there is a lot of efficiency that comes from that. So just building those units that operate very, very effectively is so valuable. You know who the experts are and you know, if I have a very specific code question, I know exactly who I can go talk to, have a good five to 10 minute discussion with instead of pouring through code books for an hour or two and trying to figure it out myself. He'll at least point me in the right direction or say, hey, check this out. So that's one small example of, you know, the team around you, even if they're not directly under you, is so critical. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I saw you spent some time in the Navy before you went to construction. So I did military service in the French paratroopers, and then I got into construction, and then I did field art. I know I brought a lot of learnings from that experience. I don't know if that's similar for you. Did you see skills transfer over? And that's really cool, man. Awesome job. You know, I mean, thank you for your service, even though I'm not a I'm not French, but I appreciate you doing that. I think it's good for people to have that experience if they're able. Yeah. So in the Navy, and I'm sure it's fairly similar, there's a dynamic where you're working with people that are much senior to you in some respects. And so how do you work together with that person in a different role? 
to kind of meet at the same place at the end. There's a thousand ways to get there. And sometimes you have to be the tough guy, which is not my normal personality. So it takes a lot of energy for me to do that. Sometimes they just need some empathy. Sometimes they just need that clear, decisive decision-making. And sometimes they just, they need their hand held. Sometimes you just got to point them in the right direction and they're going to go and do it. And I think I learned that a lot in the military. I learned how to work together with a thousand different personalities when ultimately we all have the same goal, which was we got to keep the ship running. We want to keep our presence in wherever we were. And we want to make sure that everybody's staying safe. That's what we want. We want people to stay alive. We want people in the country. We want people on the ship to stay alive. So it's that translates a lot to the safety aspect, I think. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, I think, have this idea of the military as you do what you're told and that's the end of it. But I think it's one of the organizations that invests the most in creating an effective chain of command. And they're literally constantly training their organization on being responsive and being disciplined and effectively carrying out orders. What are the orders? But I think explaining the why is a key part of making the organization effective as well. Yeah, I agree. It was a good experience. A very difficult, but a very good experience for me. Were you on a ship? Were you an engineer? Or where were you? I was on two different ships. The first ship was this old beater, the USS Denver. It was The keel was laid in 1967, so I think it was held together by paint. But on that ship, I learned basically how to operate the ship, how to be a division officer, how to work with the senior and the junior enlisted yeah. to reach that common goal. And then I transitioned into the nuclear power program. So I studied for a year and okay. then went on the U.S. limits and put it into practice. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm sure you can learn a lot and you definitely learn to operate at a certain scale there. You've been at ACO for what, like almost eight years now, seven, eight years? Yeah, um, eight years. Eight years, yeah. What are some of kind of like the projects you think were the most defining for you? whether that be for what the project was or whether you thought the engineering was really interesting or you really kind of like exceeded what you thought was doable on that project? I would say one of the big ones was when we landed 350 mission. Because when I first started working at ACO, the country was still kind of coming out of a recession. And so opportunities were a little bit more scarce. You really had a lot of effort and skill into bringing a project in. And so that's when I really learned how do you estimate, how do you sell and the importance of relationships and all that. But when 350 Mission came in, it was a 30-story corn shell office building that Kilroy built. And I really cut my teeth on that project. We changed a lot of equipment at the very beginning because the owner wanted to take a huge value engineering on some of the equipment costs. And it was a plan and spec project. So the engineer of record didn't really understand why he was getting different equipment. (laughs) So navigating that whole process with the engineer and then really seeing the whole thing get built. It's amazing what people can do with their hands. Still, obviously we use equipment, but I really feel like I fell into a sense of wonder on that project as it was getting built. I felt a little sorry for the building right next door that was 20 feet away that was losing their view, but (laughs) it was kind of funny. But that one was big on schedule. It was a difficult project, partially because there was a lot of turnover on the general contractor side. You know, they went through a few different senior supervisors on the field, superintendents. They went through a couple of different project executives. So there was a lot of strain, I think, on, you know, a couple of the project managers on their side. So learning how to kind of work through some of the sticky points and some of the difficult moments that come up when you're dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of people 
you're dealing with a lot of money that somebody else's and you know how do you kind of get through maybe some of the tough this was designed wrong or we're not getting the information we need to yeah. build it or hey we can do this but it's going to cost some money and how to have those difficult conversations but at the same time how do we keep the project moving and keep the project yeah. getting yeah. built concurrent so i learned a lot about on that one and just seeing it go up it was just the coolest thing when the roof was complete and we're bringing the mechanical equipment all the way on the roof the chiller yeah almost maxed out the tower crane. So seeing that thing kind of pull up was fascinating for me. I don't know if that answers your question. No, but. it does. It does. I mean, it's always interesting. What do you think are the key learnings for you in terms of how do you stay on top of the schedule? How do you create a really efficient work relationship with the GC to make sure that you're able to do that? What do you think are the first principles when you're trying to do that? Well, first, you got to get in early with them. And you also have to learn what are the critical paths. So if there's something that's critical path, you're not going to be able to jump in the way of that. And I think the other thing that I've learned and that I've kind of helped set up a little bit better since that project is if there's not money in the budget for something, that's when things get really frustrating and really sticky. Yeah. So there are times, especially on the mechanical side, that we have conflicts with sequencing with like the framer. They want to put a wall in here before we put our equipment in, but it's not as efficient for us. So we want to put it in. And so making sure that there's maybe a little bit of money set aside for some out of sequence work on either building mechanical shafts or building some overhead rough in and on both sides, you know, I mean, it's collaborating with the MEP team, with the framer and with the general contractor. And we're sitting down in a room together and we say, how is this going to get built? How much time do we actually need? And then memorializing that somehow, getting it actually published. That's the part that I think is the hardest, is having people commit to it, sign off and say, yeah, let's do it this way. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, like, it's construction, right? There are hard costs and the money has to come from somewhere at one point. So having that effective communication channel, I think is always super critical. I guess that's where that English class is starting to pay off, you know, in the long run. Are you guys fully back to work right now or what's the situation with COVID and the quarantine? Yeah, so the quarantine definitely stopped most of my projects, at least for a, a period of time, except for the conservatory music. Uh, that project right on Van Ness has been going yeah. the whole time. So we've learned a lot. We've had a lot of growing pains, I think, on both sides with the subcontractors and with the GC. Um, I feel like we came to a good place to kind of follow the CDC requirements mm-hmm. and the ultimate goal is we want people to stay safe and healthy. So how do we do that efficiently? So we got a lot of lessons learned from that. So when projects started popping up, we knew how to handle it. We were already armed really to have these conversations with the general contractors and really with the owners about, hey, here's some things that we've seen that have been successful. We have a new project coming up. Here's some things that we think we can do so we can really minimize these impacts. Because the last thing you want is to throw a huge change order on a project that hasn't started and then the project goes away. That's not good for anybody. But yeah, we're back to work. Haven't been in the office yet. The offices are still closed. Some of the protesting right now has impacted the office as well because San Leandro is definitely in an area that has been protested pretty heavily. So excited to kind of get back to some face-to-face collaborations here pretty soon. And I would say this month, we'll start seeing that quite a bit more. Yeah, it's actually my first day back in the office. The team is not there yet. I think they're starting in two weeks, but yeah. I was itching to get back. Yeah, no, but that's some super valuable info. And 
Thanks for the chat, Chris. So once again, Chris Sandel from ACO. They seem to be working on all the cool projects in the city of San Francisco. Thanks again for being with us today, Chris. Yeah, you got it. Thank you so much.